thanks to Curex for its longtime support of Another Mother Runner. Whether it's running, hiking, biking, court sports, golf, or even working, Curex insoles can help you live a healthy and active lifestyle. For 15% off, visit Curex.com and use code AMR15. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to listen to more of Coach Liz on this month's Miles of Books. She has a special listener's challenge. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined, as you know, today by Liz Waterstrat. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sarah. Mm, we have a scintillating topic to talk about today in the intro <laughs> chit chat. <laughs> Go on, and, reveal it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, spoiler, it's not pickleball for once. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I told you that I gave you two topics that we could possibly talk about today. One was the pool and the other was overnight oats. And you went with overnight oats. <laughs> and I got so stupidly excited <laughs> when you said overnight oats. And then well, we had a very you, good laugh. <laughs> you said you had something to say about overnight oats, too. So mm-hmm. uh, I did. Yeah. You go first. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have been buying a particular brand of overnight oats from Costco, and it's delicious. I'm not going to say the name. It's mm-hmm. delicious. Uh, it's like the perfect pre-workout snack, post-workout snack. And I, in in eating this at least once a day, I'm finding that you know it's like a little yogurt cup, and it has the pull tab to open the top. Mm-hmm. And when you o- pull that. It never actually opens properly. Like the top <laughs> never peels off. So yes. then you're left with like the whole top is still on. The pull tab is in your hand and you're thinking, <laughs> now what? So do I have to, <laughs> you know, poke it open with my spoon and then you get messy and sometimes I'm in the car trying to eat this. So this happened enough times that I thought, you know, this is my new phase of life as I, as I come upon a certain age that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> where I just feel like you you no longer have the will or the energy to let these things go. <laughs> because <laughs> like if the pool is too cold, you you're just you reach this point where you just say I am not taking this anymore. So I looked online and sure enough they had a customer service email and I wrote oh, to them yeah. and oh I, but I complimented them. I said, "Listen, I I love this product. I just think that the lid is not of comparable quality." Look to the at product. You. Mm-hmm. So perhaps this is an area your design team can work on. By the way, my kids love it too. <laughs> so the next day I get an email and it's from Hannah. I, I imagine Hannah is in her early 20s, yes. possibly first job out of college, wants to be an influencer or someone important. And she writes back to me and it says, we are so sorry to hear about your recent challenges with our product. <laughs> and then it, it follows it up and it says, appreciate your family's support on this too. <laughs> and then, you know, she said she would pass on my suggestion to the, the design team and would send me some coupons. But um, it's my overnight oat story. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some coupons and I'm really hoping they will resolve this lid issue. <laughs> and also... Hannah thinks I'm completely nuts. And she is, it, Hannah, if you're out there, you have every right. But once you get to my age, it will all make sense, my dear. Oh my gosh. Cue the twisted sister. We're not going to take it. <laughs> yes. I just don't have the, I just don't have the life force anymore to take these things. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. Ah, so, okay. So my overnight oats story is that my son, John, who is a freshman in a musical theater BFA program and a dance minor. And some days he has four dance classes in one day and, uh, and typically starting at 8am with ballet. And so to get that boy properly fueled throughout the day has become one of my biggest challenges because he has so little time. Like the other day on when he FaceTimed us, he showed us that he has, you know, between these first two classes, he has 20 minutes. Then between the second and third class, he has 10. Then between the third and fourth, he has five minutes. Wow. I'm like, I, I mean, 
there's no time to get from building to building, let alone pee, let alone eat. And then the problem is, is that so many quick foods are low calorie, low in fat, only a mm-hmm. hundred calories. And, or if it's p- portable, you know, and it has a lot of calories, oftentimes then it's total junk food. And yeah. so, you know, I don't want to eat in a sleeve of Oreos. And so we brainstormed and I remembered that a bunch of years ago, we were partners very briefly with an overnight oat brand called Brave. And I remember that their package, that the package of their overnight oats has like 495 calories because it's specifically aimed at athletes. And I was like, yes, I am ordering you, you know, go online, tell me what flavors you'll eat and I'm sending you them. And so, yeah, so that's what he's doing. And he likes them well enough. Like he's like, okay, I'm not going to eat them every day, but four out of the seven days I'll eat them. And so, yeah. So can I ask you a question? Mm Mm-hmm. What is the packaging like? <laughs> it is uh, <laughs> inquiring minds want to know. It is. It comes in a, a packet, a little sachet, you know, like a regular oh. oatmeal thing. It's bigger than that, and then you pour it into. I got them. They have some fancy name for with the cup that comes with it that has the lid, and then in the lid there's space to put toppings. So John actually pre-cut a banana the night before and Mm. put it in there because I guess it's airtight because at first I was like, oh, that's going to be a whole bunch of brown banana. But he said it worked just fine. And so then, and they mistaken, I ordered one of the containers and they're pretty expensive and they mistakenly sent them two. Woohoo! And so he used, takes one to the dining hall and fills that with milk. And then he has milk because he does have a refrigerator in his room and so um, then he pours, you know, marries it with the package. And so I have not heard from him that he has trouble ripping open the packaging. <laughs> and it is then a screw top lid. And, you know, I, when I dropped, when we dropped him off in August, we bought him a few pieces of cutlery from Target. So he ha- I will not have him using a disposable spoon. So he uses a, an actual metal spoon. So, yeah. Hmm, I'll have to look into that brand. They have like peanut butter and something. They have a coconut mango, like toasted coconut mango. So those are the two flavors that I got them. Yeah, nice. I think it's uh, I think it's peanut butter and banana. And yeah, so. Um, but still, I mean, he got a bunch of stuff from nuts.com, got him, a, you know, a lot. And it was right. I ordered it right before Valentine's Day. So they had all this candy. I'm like, screw the candy. Where's like the things that are <laughs> nutritious and, you know, high quality fats. And so you know, got him a bunch of true nuts and I don't know, um, a bunch of mixes and things, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. It's annoying. It's irksome that the diet industry has made it so that things that you can eat on the fly have very little nutritional value. It is. It's, it's frustrating, especially as, you know, your son is, is young and busy or even any of us training for, endurance events it's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges is getting in what you need but making sure what you're getting in is is good because like you said there's no shortage of uh really you know not so great ways to fill up on on those calories but you want Mm -hmm. it to be nutrient dense so oh yeah yeah because that's he also because he can't eat you know you don't want to eat a whole lot before you go on a run before you go to ballet class right so he outlined when he eats i mean he's eating i don't know six or seven times a day (laughs) i bet Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, doing endurance events, we are delighted to welcome Dina Castor as a repeat guest on the show. Dina, as I'm sure you all know, is a professional runner, mother runner, author, and all around absolutely fabulous person. Dina won the bronze medal in the women's marathon in the 2004 Olympic Games held in Athens, Greece. And during the course of her career, Dina has racked up impressive records in both the half marathon and marathon distance. Her winning finish time at the 2006 London Marathon was the U.S. Women's Marathon record for nearly 16 years. Her U.S. Women's Masters Marathon record of 2.27.47, let that sink in for a sec, stood until Des Linden beat it by 12 seconds at the Chicago Marathon last October. As I mentioned, Dina is an author. Her book, Let Your Mind Run, A Memoir of Thinking My Way to Victory, came out in 2018 and received rave reviews, well-deserved rave reviews, I should say. 
So given the topic of her book and the fact that Dina obviously has run countless long runs, I asked her on the show about how to harness a long run mindset. Dina, welcome back to the show. Liz and I are so excited to talk with you. It is such a pleasure to be back with you. And thanks, girls, for having me. Yeah, yeah. I have to uh, interject before I get to the questions that, so as you both know, I was at Pickleball League right before this because I (laughs) screwed up the timing and all that good stuff. So, but during a break in between games, I told my buddies, I'm like, oh, you want to hear this big idiot mistake I made? And and so one of my friends is running Napa Valley Marathon. One well, of my pickleball friends who's also a mother runner, she's running Napa Valley in two weeks. And she goes, you're going to talk to Dina? Please, please tell her that I, I listened to her audiobook and her positivity and determination just fuels me so much. So... Oh my gosh, that is so sweet of you to share. And pickleball or running is the only excuse I'll take for rescheduling. <laughs> that is, that's so nice of you to share that. Writing that book was so hard. And I every day sat down with the discipline to like, it doesn't matter about you right now and your suffering and getting to the nitty gritty of your, of your headspace. But if you're going to help you're going to help someone out there get on top of something. And maybe it's not the next mile, but maybe it's some life crisis. So sit your butt down and start writing. So, um, so yeah. I love to hear feedback like that. It really oh, makes the pain and of the process of book writing worth it. Oh, so worth it. And when I put up a call for questions for this podcast on our Facebook page, just person after person was chiming in about how much they love the book and how much it means to them. And, and so, yes, you, you, you done good with that book. So thank oh. you. Thank you, you so and, much. You and Michelle Hamilton done good with that book. So Yes. All right. So before we jump into running, let's focus on your mother's side. So happy 13th birthday month to your daughter and congrats on becoming the mom of a teenager. Can't oh believe it. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it either. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like I it was just yesterday that I was in a crisis of like, how do I mother and run at the same time? And it seemed impossible, but I really did lean on your community to to see that people figure it out and you might have to figure it out your own way. But I cannot believe I have a teenager. To be honest, she's felt like a teenager for a couple of years already. Uh, but her her little birthday party is tomorrow. So I was oh. in like party favor mode right before this, um, before taking a couple crisis phone calls from other people. But it's a, it's a really fun time. I like being a mom at this age because mm-hmm. the kids are trying to figure themselves out. Their bodies are changing. Their hormones are are making them irrational. And I, I really love the troubleshooting of this age. So I'm I feel like I'm in my prime as I'm dealing with a teenager. Oh, that's that's good to hear. <laughs> It'll serve you well. <laughs> so Dina, where are you at with your running these days? You know, I, I feel like I'm I'm really just trying to be consistent because it makes me the best best version of myself. The only exception was my birthday a couple of weeks ago when my husband woke up sick. So we canceled plans um, that we had that day. And I took myself cross-country skiing instead to like get out of my comfort zone. And let me tell you, I was way out of my comfort zone that day. Uh, it was such a, I, I don't want to cuss on here, but it was some sort of show. Um <laughs> And it wasn't a good one. Uh, but I, I loved being on the cross country skis and going uphill to this lake space in area and, and, um, and classic skating around the lake. It was such a gorgeous day. The snow was lightly following. The wind started to pick up. So the tracks got some snow in them, slowing me down, which I like. Um, and then it came to the downhill section to go back to the, to the yurt. And I got off my skis and started walking down the hill and every single person person that passed me was like, are you okay? Are you having equipment malfunction? And each time I was like, no, I just don't like skiing downhill because I feel out of control. And I got laughs. I got <laughs> laughed at and people rolling their eyes and what is wrong with you? That's the best part of it. You work while you're going uphill and you get to like enjoy the downhill. Not me. I'm not a speed girl. So um, I feel like it was so good for me cardiovascularly, but I just, I just love to put on my running shoes and get out there. I don't think I could tackle the marathon distance right now, but throw me in a 5k or a 10k and I won't have a lot of speed, but I can get through the miles. So I just, I just still really love this sport. I love meeting up with my Mammoth Track Club teammates. So not, 
not a sport I, I don't think I'll ever walk away from unless I'm forced to. Mm. Nice, nice. Okay, and w- one more question before we get to the meat of this article. How about your baking? Because way back in 2010, right before Dimity and I debuted our first book, we got to go on that press trip, that ASICS press trip to Mammoth Lakes, California, that gorgeous mountain town that you and your family call home. And you gifted us with some incredibly tasty home-baked chocolate chip cookies. So, <laughs> so That's um, funny. I, I'm glad they were memorable because I'm making them again. I actually made the dough and balled them up and put them in the freezer yesterday to try to get on top of birthday week for my daughter because she meets up with her ski team every day. And it's like, the thing they talk about, like Piper's birthday is coming up. It means her mom's bringing chocolate chip cookies. Um, so I bring them up to the snow and let them start their their day with some chocolate chip cookies. Start their day. It's like noon when they get out of school and get up on the mountain. Um, uh-huh. So they'll get my chocolate chip cookies tomorrow. And then nice. I'm making a flourless chocolate cake for her birthday because she wanted molten lava cake. But I, mm. you can't make like well, not me. Maybe you can. I don't want to make like 24 ramekins oh, of, you know. <laughs> of, of molten lava cake. So I'm just making a flourless chocolate tort. So it'll be, I think what she's going for is like rich and chocolatey and gooey. And um, so that's what I'm making. It'll have fresh raspberries around it. Um, so that's, that's what's going on in my kitchen these days. Mm, sounds delicious. And also, I mean, come on, who has 24 ramekins to start with? Yeah, you know? I'd have to like call on all my friends. Like, can I borrow your two? Can I borrow your four? Do you have eight? Right. Yeah, right. exactly. And I have to say that ramekin is one of my favorite words. So thank you for debuting it, I think, on this podcast. It uh, is. I, you know what? I think we should make it not only the little ceramic cup that holds condiments and, and that you can bake molten lava cakes in, but we should use it as like a verb in running um, we'll, we'll, try we to, we'll try to figure we, that out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, by the end of the show, you're going to need to tell us what a ramekin is or how to ramekin while running. Yeah, I think it's that state at like the end, like towards the end of a long run where you're in like a mental state where you just have to like ramekin through it. <laughs> oh my. I think we've got it. We've got it. Let's get on to the mental stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's get this run back on track. So, <laughs> all right. So let's get into the long run mindset. Now we chose this topic thinking about all the women in our community who might be training for spring half or full marathons. And they're thinking about those double digit runs and they might be feeling a little intimidated. So what do you think are the building blocks for a long run mindset? Yeah. And it, it is so, I'll just say that it is so common to be intimidated by that long run because we emphasize it so much, right? Like once you get your 20 miler in, you, you can then run a marathon and with the, with the other buildup behind it. And so there's so much pressure on that, on that longest run of a buildup. And, and I think we put a little too much emphasis on it because all the other stuff matters too. So when it comes to a long run mindset, I, I think we have to really give ourselves credit. Like first, before we even lace up our shoes or maybe even before we go to bed the night before that that long run is to honor all the work that's been done before because that's what really got you ready to do it. So really honor that process of getting there because it's not like you just wake up and and do a long run. You've you've put in work before, you have a base behind you. And so I think patting yourself on the back before that is really necessary. I also think going into a long run with a word or a mantra of support, it could be endure, right? Because that's what we're relying on in the, in that long run, endure or maybe trust, trusting that the training before that is getting you ready for that day. And I also think it's so important nutrition. I know we're talking about mindset, but proper nutrition fuels our mind. And when we are lacking in in calories, when we are in a severe deficit, we're not thinking clearly. So nutrition has a really big play on our mindset. And that's getting your fluids in early, your calories in early. It may be a cold, blustery Sunday morning, and you're not really thirsty because you're 
your fluids are cold that you're holding around your waist and it doesn't really feel like you're craving it, but get those fluids in early because as the miles go on, it's the nutrition that you need, the calories that you need to stay on top mentally and physically. How do you feel the whole idea of of mental strength or mindset has changed throughout your own running career? I mean, did your coaches at the University of Arkansas, for instance, talk about the mindset piece of running or the Olympic coaches two decades ago? I don't think it was as involved then as it is now. I know there was sports psychologists. So if you were having mental lapses in your races, you'd get sent to a sports psychologist. I did <laughs> for being a head case <laughs> at times. But I think, I think more so now we're learning that um, because positive psychology has been a science for a little more than two decades now, we're learning how significant of an impact your mental state has, your thoughts and your your focus, um, because your body histochemically reacts to that. So if you're if you're really emphasizing the fatigue and the struggle and the loneliness of the later stages of a long run, your body's going to be producing cortisol and some hormones that aren't working in your favor. Whereas if you can really stay on top of that, and our mind is a muscle, so we can train it. It's not like we're stuck with the head we have. We can train it and we might have to work a little harder some days than others or some people than others. But it is so worth the effects of of making sure our thoughts are working in our favor and for us so that our bodies are working not in contrast to cortisol and trying to blow through that, but really working with endorphins and oxytocin and serotonin and all of these hormones that work to make us faster or endure a little longer. And it all comes from that that tiny bit of headspace over our shoulders can really be the, um, the make or break of a, of a run, of a race, of a personal best and not finishing, it could really have severe consequences for or against us. And when we realize that we have the power to do that, it becomes a game out there every day. And I try not to take it seriously or be hard mm-hmm. on myself, although I used to be, but now to really be a part of that game and try to try to come out on top each time. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like your mental outlook or or strategies continue to change maybe as your relationship to running continues to change or thinking about our runners as they get more experienced or fitter? Do these, do these things change? Yeah, they, um, your mindset does change all the time because your struggles change. You can, you can rely on, like for me, I relied on the mantra define myself for years because I felt like it it took all the emotion out of it and just made me get strategic and define myself as as tough and gritty and determined and enduring but define yourself kind of lost its lure for a while and um and i had to find a, a new strategy to rise above it it's like well now i feel like i've made this niche for myself that i really do emphasize the mental side of running having that sound mind and that sound body that I've emphasized it so much that now I use it as a game to help other people. Like that someone's going to come to me and ask me for this advice and I need to have a tool available for them to, to rely on to get them through it. So for me now, I feel like it's more of a working hard and getting through that kind of mindset to be philanthropic with what I learn. And I learned that from my, from my first professional coach, Coach Hill, who worked hours and had degrees and his doctorate and was just selfless with his time only so that he could share it with other people. And he would take a decade to figure something out um, physiologically. And then anybody that came and asked him a question, he would share the knowledge with him. And it was just seemed so generous to me that he inspired me to really live with the mindset that things evolve when we share them. They really become more important once we share the knowledge or the time or the money that we have. So um, sharing became a big part of my motivation as an older athlete. You mentioned tools. And so that makes me wonder, what are some of the other tools that are in your mental toolkit that you think endurance athletes or runners can benefit from? Yeah, I I think what we do is so big and grand and we can really blow it up in our minds to to be important. And in reality, it's not that important whether we hit a PR or or win a race. 
it doesn't really change on a world level. We're not like battling hunger or war. It's, it's really just our egos at stake. And so I really feel that when I make it about character, it becomes severely important. And so in order to get through a rough section of a run or a race, I immediately say, this is going to help me when I hit a rough patch in life. And so how am I going to break this down into more digestible pieces? And so maybe in a marathon from the very beginning in 2001, when I ran my first marathon in New York City, it was not a 26.2 mile race or, or even a 42 kilometer race. It was eight water bottle stops. And, mm. um, and so it was like one water bottle, then the next water bottle and getting all those fluids in. And so it became about the game of fluid consumption instead of getting through the whole race. Um, if you want to break down New York City even easier, it's five boroughs. That's even less. <laughs> you can uh, <laughs> just break it down into something that isn't isn't so intimidating. Um, and so that's a really good tactic that's worked for me for years. And then you can apply. I think we'd be cheating ourselves if we weren't taking the lessons we learn in running and applying them to life as well, because it. They say life is like a marathon and and the marathon is like life. So let's make sure that we're taking those strategies into life lessons as well, because the benefits are equal to both. That's awesome. So Dina, you being a writer, talk about the power of journaling or jotting down notes after a workout, even if it's just a few words in Strava or, or whatnot. Yeah, I I love to journal. I love to write my thoughts down. And I think it's an important step of the process because it makes us pause a little longer. I think when, if we're not writing things down, we're quick to judge and we move on to the next thing. And that could be dangerous because we label, um, we could say that even, even as simple as that was good or that was bad without really understanding why it was either of those things. And, and so pausing to journal and write things down really allows us to, to sum it up and be a little more investigative with our emotions behind how we felt about that workout. And, I remember even when I had a physical training log that it could be something as simple as a smiley face at the at the mm-hmm. um, at the end of the week or at the end of a workout that really hit home why that that workout did well. Like that smiley face would remind me, oh yeah, I remember that day. Mile repeats at the golf course, and I really finished strong. And so it can really bring back a lot of those emotions. It's also really good to go back and reflect. Um, Whether you're going to write a memoir or not, it's good to go back and reflect on what worked and what you need to fix in order to keep progressing. Mm -hmm. Would you go back through your journals ever before a big race, say the Olympics or London Marathon, something like that? All the time. My favorite thing to do with, because I, I like to write things down. I'm not like a, I'm not a very digital person. As you could tell that it took me like five extra minutes to log on, six extra (laughs) minutes to log on to, to our call. Um, I'm not a digital person. And so writing it down, um, really did give me the, the time to reflect, but also so easy to have that, to have that journal at my fingertips the night before a race when doubt would seep in. And that was probably the most powerful moment of keeping a training log was going back and seeing those good days. And on good days, I was, I would always highlight them. You know, some years it was yellow, some years it was a pink highlighter. Either way, I would go back and see those highlighted pages because inevitably the night before a race, you're like, did I train long enough? Was my long run long enough? Should I have put in another long run? You're questioning your preparation. And when I could easily silence that doubt by looking back at, some of those highlighted pages, whether they were, there was a lot of them or few of them, it emphasized the good in the buildup. And it really gave me a sense of belief going to bed the night before that race. So I used them as a, as a strategy, not just to pause each day and really reflect on what that workout, what I got out of that workout, but also reflect pre-race and see what I did, what I did right leading up to that race. Mm. I have to say, as you're talking, I just have such a big smile on my face because I'm like, oh, yes, Dina is the perfect person to be talking about this topic. So thank you. Oh, thank you. So stay with us while we take a quick break to hear from the folks that help us bring you this content. We'll be right back with more from Olympian and writer Dina Castor.
thanks to Curex for its continued support. For 15% off Curex insoles, visit curex.com and use code AMR15. I just switched to a new model of running shoe that I adore, and swapping out the sock liner in them for Curex Run Pro insoles catapulted the shoes into true red-hot love category. The Curex Run Pro insoles provide flexible support with an ideal level of rigidity, meaning the Max Cushion shoes have the slightly livelier feel I crave while still providing maximum support and comfort. With Curex's patented dynamic arch technology, Curex insoles properly support the foot and its natural movement for ideal knee and hip alignment. All my joints and my back are grateful. Feel the Curex difference. Curex offers the largest line of sport and activity-specific insoles, including ones for running, soccer, hiking, walking, golf, hockey, and even ones for folks on their feet all day in the workplace. I have Curex insoles in all my athletic shoes, including the recently debuted Pickleball Pro insoles in my pickleball shoes. Basically, I don't make an athletic move without the support of Curex insoles. See what I'm talking about and try Curex risk-free today. The company offers a 60-day warranty, even if the product has been cut to fit your shoes. Visit Curex.com and use code AMR15 for 15% off a pair of Curex insoles. That's C-U-R-R-E-X.com with code AMR15 for 15% off. Curex.com and that code AMR15. So in your mind run, you write about how revelatory it was when you realized that while at the end of your marathon training runs were hard, quote, most of the long run was done at a comfortable pace. So I bet that's an eye opener for a lot of folks, especially first time marathoners in training. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll say that as much as, um, the, the talk of marathoning is that, is that the first 20 miles are easy and then you get to work the last 10 K sometimes it hurts a lot sooner than that. I mean, it uh, more often than not, it hurts a lot sooner than that, but it should be comfortable, right? It should be, it should be a comfortable pace. So you're using the right, the right energy system. Um, it's a fat burning event. So you want to make sure that you're not burning sugars, but actually burning fat in the marathon, in the marathon long run or the marathon itself. So working that energy system is really important. And if you're, running it too fast, then you're not using the right energy system. And so it's really important to stay in that fat burning zone for a lot of the long run. And then you could push it towards the end to really extend yourself and really press the boundaries of what your body can do. So that's what I did most weekends leading up to marathons was making sure I was in the right energy system and making it comfortable. And in that case, it was one of my favorite days of the week because it was the only day a week I ran once. I only had one run on Sundays and it was also the most social. It was the time where I got to really stand with and connect with my teammates. We don't, we're not social on mile repeats when we're <laughs> gasping for air and, and looking for every oxygen molecule we could, we could <laughs> suck in through our nose and mouth. But the long run was the social day and then going out to brunch afterwards. So Sundays, were an important day for marathon training, but one of my favorites or the most favorite because of the social aspect to it. And I think that that was really important. And so when people are asking for advice on marathon training, uh, my very first bit of advice is to like connect with a club or a team or a run specialty store that has group meetups to to make sure you're doing the miles together because I feel like when they when they can be social and fun it holds you accountable and also makes it enjoyable that you might be at this sport for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So then in the book, you write about shifting to the, quote, insistent mind in the final miles of a long run. And I just love that phrase, insistent mind. Share some details about what you mean and how you do that, please. Okay. Well, that insistent mind was all Michelle Hamilton as I'm describing it. Um, (laughs) She was so good at like asking and re-asking. And I would say, well, you just have to be insistent. And she's like, ah, so after like, two hours of talking on the phone, we get the insistent mind. <laughs> so <laughs> she was so good at drawing things like that out and and just um, summing them up beautifully as I babbled on and on about, <laughs> about how to tackle, how to tackle a mindset. So it is, it's, it's, it's where you just have to be diligent and, um, and really that's where the mental endurance comes in so that your body can follow. And 
you know, your mind slips to being bored. I've heard that a lot. You're Mm -hmm. bored or you're looking at the million other things that have to get done in that day. And you're thinking about your knees being sore, your hips being fatigued and your feet hurting and the blister and whatever. Your, Your mind always is trying to shift to that negative space, mostly because of heredity and coming up as Neanderthals and needing to, to flee, flee scenes or fight for your life or, um, or, or kill for food. We, we tend to, to steer towards negative, but more science is showing that in the era of where we live now, that a positive mindset is going to be what gets you to the highest height. So just being insistent with every move forward. What thought right now or what focus right now is going to get this next mile in? And really being diligent about that thought. And it's accepting that negativity. Okay, I've got a blister, but I'm still five miles away from home. So I've got to get in one more mile or get in this next step and really putting your mind in a space that's going to get you there. And everybody's motivation and purpose for running is a little different. And so sometimes it's just convincing yourself the next mile, get that in, and then you can stop. And then you renegotiate, of course, at that next mile <laughs> uh, to go to go another or to get at least a, a street further. It could be that it could be relying on on the purpose of your run to to combat a health scare, to raise awareness and money for for a charity that you're working for. There's always a reason to keep going and finding that reason when your mind wants to focus on the negativity is everything in that moment. And I think when you when you realize the power you have in shifting those thoughts and continuing forward, it it, it is really an emboldment moment that you've realized you can do absolutely anything in life because you can quiet what's not allowing you to move forward and give a louder voice to all the good that um, that will allow you to persevere. So to me, getting to that point that where you have to use your insistent mind, getting to that point is the most critical part of that run. It wasn't the 20 miles as a whole. It wasn't the, the 10 miles as a whole or the 10 miles that came before. It is that moment that is the most critical moment of a long run. Mm. Let's talk a little more about that negative voice or the negativity that pops up somewhere in a long run. Um, in your book, you write about your inner cheerleader. You called it that encouraging voice that pushed you. So for runners whose voice in their head can trend toward the negative, how can they nudge that into a more positive or at least a more neutral territory? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because it's a hard transition, right? When uh, when the little devil's on your shoulder telling you to stop or or cry or whatever it's telling you to telling you to do shout expletives at the sky sometimes. <laughs> um that's me in the wind by the way, so I know that one intimately. Um but to be able to to take a deep breath and realize that you're doing something challenging. Like just acknowledge that, right? Like this is this is hard. It's why there aren't thousands of people out here on the road doing it with you, that this is a really challenging moment, or maybe there is during the marathon, but in the long run itself. And acknowledge that it's challenging and then pat yourself on the back for it because by God, you're doing it. And then treat yourself like a friend. Don't treat yourself as the as the perfectionist you're striving to be or the person you hold to to high standards on a daily basis and always seem to fall short of 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 being her but but really treat yourself as as a good friend and encourage and cheerlead and sympathize and push to to be the best version of yourself right then and there and I think when we can be that cheerleader for ourselves be that friend to ourselves, we become a self-advocate, right? We're, we're advocating for everything we're, we're signing up for and, and, and our plates are full, let's be honest. And, and sometimes you have to give, give and take a little with everything that you're spinning. But when you can be that friend to yourself, you can be the best version of yourself possible. And I remember the hardest time I had with that was when I became a mom and I was a hundred percent athlete, and even my husband's focus was a hundred percent on getting the best out of me. And when we were pregnant and then had our daughter, 
I, I really had a hard time understanding how to be a hundred percent when something else was vying for my attention. And I, it took me a while to, to realize it because I felt I was failing for quite a bit of time. It took me a while to realize that I can be a hundred percent with whatever hat I have on in the moment. And then when I trade in that hat for something else during the middle of the day, I can be a hundred percent there. And then I could be a hundred percent there for me when it calls for that. So for some reason I was stuck on that. I had to be a hundred percent. And so that's how I digested it was that I was just going to be a hundred percent with what, whatever hat I was wearing, even if I was wearing the hat of self-care. Mm. And that is how I've really lived for the last 13 years. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about pain because I think that's where many athletes get tripped up is, you know, like, let's say you're doing mile repeats and the lactate is building and you're feeling a little nauseous and some athletes take that as a sign that they're doing something wrong or something not, is not going well. So what do you do in those moments? You know, in your book, you said, let the pain signal that you're building endurance in, in speed. So how do you, how do you talk to the pain or deal with it? Yeah, I think so many people, including myself for a long time, thought of pain as bad or that it was a, a signal to, to stop or slow down and, um, and something you tried to avoid. Um, and I, I learned quickly as a professional athlete that pain is progress and, um, and it doesn't have to be scary. It can be your moment of building. And I think understanding that like, the snap of your bone in your tibia is not progress. That's pain is at a level that's like, okay, it's time to, it's time to, to, to slow down. But like general overall fatigue and pain and discomfort is a really good, powerful thing to embrace. And a, a story comes to mind because years ago, um, it was maybe like, gosh, maybe eight years ago, um, it was a snowy day up here in Mammoth. And uh, so it was a red day for school. So we had our daughter at practice and we were down, uh, we drove down the mountain about 25, 30 minutes to a place where we do a lot of our road repetitions. And after this one K, I think it was like eight times a kilometer that we were doing with a couple minutes rest. I had my hands on my knees and I was dry heaving and, uh, and, and coughing and, uh, and, and my daughter Piper came up and she kind of like dipped down, looked under me and said, mommy, are you okay? And I got this big smirk on my face and I said, I love the pain. And she started <laughs> laughing so hard and she's since used it on me when I'm asking her, if she, if, are you okay? I love the pain. Um, so I, for me, it's like a fun part of the process where this is where we're pushing our limits. This is where we're growing. This is where we're evolving into a stronger version of ourselves. And for me, that always means physically and mentally. So in that, in that pain and discomfort, I tend to embrace it and really enjoy the process of, of building myself stronger. It's a slower version now. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to lie that I get to that pain threshold at a slower pace and more, more frequently, um, sooner in the workout than I ever have. But to me, I still love the process of getting there. All right. So do you have any suggestions for how to keep that mental flywheel spinning through a long training cycle? I mean, how to rally for a 16 mile run this week, then a 20 miler next. And, you know, because we, we talk to women in our community and they often start fretting on say Tuesday about the upcoming weekend's long run. So to just kind of always keeping that the momentum of, yes, I'm, I'm up for this. I'm up for this. Yeah. That's, it's a great question because it does become monotonous. <laughs> the, <laughs> the miles become very monotonous and we're supposed to be in a routine, right? Saturday night, you're supposed to eat the meal that you think you're going to eat before your race. And, and Sunday morning, you're supposed to eat the breakfast and, and make sure you're digesting it well. And it becomes, becomes a bit boring. And so I, I think that routine is so important, but also shake it up with some fun things. Like maybe you, you listen to a, a, a powerful song on Sunday morning before to hype you up. And maybe you're leaving to a quiet house and everybody's still sleeping. So, uh, <laughs> maybe 
play it in your car on the way to the to the run or with headphones on. But look for strategies to to really make it exciting and fun. And it could be through music. It could be through essential oils. It could be for me, what gets me going are good quotes. I love a good quote. So Mm. I'll scour on my phone when I'm waiting to pick my daughter up from school. I'll just be looking for an inspiring quote to put on the chalkboard at home. But quotes are really powerful. So just you could shake up shake up that routine by something inspirational, be it music, candles, essential oils, quotes. Um, And there's so many good quotes out there. I feel like thousands of brilliant people that came before us have, have brilliantly summed up exactly what we're feeling or the motivation we need to get out the door and crush the day. Um, and so relying on that wisdom is so, is so critical. And it's such an easy access thing now that we have this thing called the internet that uh, <laughs> has so much knowledge at our fingertips. One of my favorite quotes of all time, at least since 2008, when Barack Obama was inaugurated for the first time as president of the United States. He said, there is nothing more satisfying to the spirit and more defining of our character than giving our all to a difficult task. I was homesick with the flu, but I flew off the couch and grabbed a pen and paper and wrote it down to the best of my knowledge. And then when the speech was over, I scoured the internet to actually find it and correct my mistakes. But, uh, but I just thought it defined running like nothing more satisfying to the spirit and defining of your character than giving your all to a difficult task. I've realized later on that I rely on it in life as well. Um, Mm. but it totally summed up running and specifically that long run. So there's so many great quotes to really embolden and empower us through the, the hard tasks that we're doing when we tackle a long run. Mm. Or I have to say, speaking of quotes, I have been just filling my notebook with quotes about what you've said. So, <laughs> so, so you're yes. you're paying it forward. Yes, <laughs> taking oh, notes. Yeah, oh, that's funny. So, Dina, we've talked a lot about improving the mental game in training. What about in racing? Do you feel like runners need to include? almost training races to get some work. So that way, when the big race, the big marathon comes around, they have a little bit of practice under that race belt. Yeah. You know, I think racing is actually easier because when we're doing our long runs, we kind of have to fabricate the motivation ourselves, but in racing, it's kind of built in with the people around you and if you're lucky, spectators on the side of the road, sometimes there's music playing and it's got a good beat you're trying to keep <laughs> up with. Um, so racing, I feel like, is sometimes easier than than the training itself because you have so much inspiration around you. You have the hype and energy of the of the start line and and even with that, I try to temper it like on the start line, be like, this is no big deal. That there's 40,000 of us just standing here <laughs> waiting to tackle 26.2 miles. And, and I, I could feel the, the, um, the heart beating, my heart beating in my throat and the, and the beat of the, of the amps that are playing music, like reverberating off the street. And it's no big deal. Um, I try to make it a bigger deal, um, miles down the road when I do start to fatigue. So then it becomes, um, a moment of trying to embrace the hype and and use all that energy that's surrounding me to work in my favor. So it's such a weird balance that I try to ignore it at the start line, but then really like grasp for it um, in the later stages of the race. Mm-hmm. At this point in your career, do you still get out there and race? Um, I haven't raced very hard. My daughter, well, I take that back. I did try to rally to outkick my daughter at a mile race in Bermuda. We went on a spectacular trip to the Bermuda Triangle Challenge in January. Mm -hmm. And my husband was away with the Mammoth Track Club team because they were getting ready for the Olympic trials in Orlando. So I had to take her with me. So we went, uh, took her out of school and we went to Bermuda for this race. And it was a mile race on Friday evening. And then Saturday morning was a 10K. And 
Sunday was a half marathon or a marathon. And the medals were so cool. They like magnetically stacked on top of each other as you mm. went through the weekend to complete the challenge. Um, so we only ran the mile race together because uh, she couldn't run further than that. And so we did the mile race and it was so fun. And I was, you know, encouraging her like, oh, take in the crowds. They're so amazing. And and Piper, I just heard your name being called from from one of the people we had met that weekend. And um, and then it was the turnaround. And I said, oh my gosh, we're halfway done. This is so amazing. Let's catch three people. And she turned to me and she says, let's catch five. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, that's the spirit. So we were catching people. We caught five people. And then I said, oh my gosh, the finish line, the finish line is ahead. And she just outkicked me, like just went into (laughs) beast mode. And I was like, well, wait for me. Like here, I've been encouraging her this whole time. And she just like dusted me in the last like 50 meters of the race. Um, So I, it was a really fun weekend, but um, that was the last time I was like, Feel like I almost pulled a muscle. I was like really straining <laughs> in the last because I just wasn't prepared for her to like. I think she got some of my husband's fast twitch muscle fibers, which I have none, and so she just like utilized them in that last in that last bit with no encouragement to me whatsoever. She was just like, "I'm out of here." Uh, but that was the last time I like dug down just in that in that mile race. But you know, the Carlsbad Five Thousand is coming up in April. That's one of my favorite five k races. I'm sure I'll have some races lined up here, but, um, but nothing on nothing that I have done superiorly 5k, 10k half marathon or marathon. I ran the Paris marathon last year, which was so fun. My team at ASICS and I went with, there was about 50 of us women that went and just had a ball in Paris. Um, and I'll be going to Paris for the Olympics. Not that I am running. I did not earn that ticket, but, um, be going with the ASICS team to, to cheer on, some of our ASICs athletes. So I'm super excited to be a part of the Olympics at any capacity. Mm, so thrilling. Well, we will watch your Instagram account because I know you had some good pictures from that Paris trip and the Bermuda trip. So yes. thank you so much for your time and your energy and your wisdom, Dina. It is always just a joy to talk to you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Liz. It's always fun. Yeah. Let's see. See, I guess I'll see you guys at the next races. Yes, hope so. All right, take care. You too. All right. Oh, I had a momentary lapse of forgetting how much I love Dina Castor. Yeah. What a great spirit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, her book truly is a great read. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think for folks who are really intrigued by what she said here, there's so much more of it in her book. And um, like my friend Sheila said, it's also a great listen. So, so check that out. All right, and please consider joining us in Lake Placid, New York, another lovely place to run, another place steeped in Olympic history. And we are doing that. We are convening September 6th through 9th, and it's just after the summer crowds leave, but we are anticipating it still being warm, especially warm enough to go swimming in Mirror Lake, which is the small boat free, small, good enough for getting lots of open water swimming in, that our hotel is right there next to Mirror Lake, also right along Main Street, cute downtown Main Street of Lake Placid. We bring in experts. We have great meals. We go on runs. We do yoga. Um, we just really have an enriching experience and make lots of new friends. You definitely want to be a part of it. Go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events, and you'll see Lake Placid Retreat in the drop down. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com, whether to look up uh, details of our retreat or just check out some of the articles and uh, merch and every all the training programs, all the good stuff we got on there. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medour from Fire on the Bluff. I like talking to her, but I still don't want to do a marathon. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yet, yet you do Iron Man, which has <laughs> totally a marathon different. in it. <laughs> totally <laughs> different. You're very warmed up. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is a unique oh. perspective, there, Coach Liz. Mm-hmm. <laughs>Thanks for staying with us. This is Miles of Books, our monthly bonus segment that's a brief conversation with Liz Waterstrat, a coach in our Train Like a Mother Club and one of my occasional co-hosts because, you know, she just was the co-host of the episode you just listened to. So hello, Liz. How are you? Hi, Sarah. Doing well today. Good. 
So uh, let's jump right in because you're going to talk about more than just a book today. So tell folks what book you're discussing and its basic premise, please. We are going to take a deep dive into philosophy. Mm -hmm. And I have two books, Sarah. I'm going to pull out a little surprise for you on that second book. We'll just do a brief mention of it. Mm -hmm. But the big book that I that I enjoyed lately, it's called Becoming a True Athlete, A Practical Philosophy for Flourishing Through Sport. And it's by oh, Lorenz Halstead, mm-hmm. who I believe is a Danish Olympic mm-hmm. fencer, two-time mm. Olympian. Mm, okay. All right. And I love the subtitle. So... What are the virtues of a true athlete philosophy? Well, like any good philosophy, there are virtues. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Halstead had four of them. And the first is aligned with compassion. So treating yourself and others with compassion and kindness. The next is integrity. The third is, I like this one, acknowledging and re- embracing responsibility for your own journey. I think often we get caught up in other people's journeys or blaming other things external to ourselves for what's happening on our journey. Mm-hmm. And the last virtue is growing your awareness in the present moment and what truly matters in life. Mm. So that's intriguing to me that those things are true athlete. You know, you haven't mentioned speed, you haven't mentioned dedication, you know, or um, motivation or anything about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think both of those things, motivation and speed, they come and go depending mm-hmm. on the phase of life you're in or the goal that you're chasing or even the phase of your season. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that we can say that those are pillars of what it means to be an athlete. There mm-hmm. are athletes who are very fast. There are athletes who are very slow and they're mm-hmm. all athletes none- mm-hmm. nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I understand there were some kind of mental, emotional strategies and practices for cultivating these true athlete virtues. Take us through a couple of those, please. I feel like you can't get through any book these days without someone talking about meditation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the answer to everything. And I'm not, I'm not making light of meditation. I know mm-hmm. it's a very valuable practice, uh, very enriching. It's personally not my jam for a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons, but they do go into mindfulness and meditation. I'm more interested in mindfulness. I don't necessarily think you need meditation to get there, but I do think it's helpful to be mindful. Mm. Another strategy and practice they talked about was the athlete identity. So knowing your core values. And I think that's important just for anyone doing anything to operate from a place where you truly understand and identify what your core values are. Um, they also talked about a Stoic approach. So mm. Stoicism being another branch of philosophy about understanding what is under your control and controlling the controllables, which I feel like you've probably heard Coach Jen and I talking about. Mm. If anyone's been in our programs, we often talk about controlling the controllables. Mm-hmm. Um, they, he brings up love and connection. Uh, you know, what is love versus what is fear? How to have compassion? Uh, and then lastly, just creating a personal motto for, you know, creating a personal philosophy, which if you recall, we talked about with Dr. Mike when we mm-hmm. were going into his book, you know, Fear of Other People's Opinions, The First Rule of Mastery. Mm-hmm. So that's another yep. theme that I've seen, especially in the last one or two years. I feel like a lot of these books and a lot of coaches and Sports people are just getting more into the idea of, okay, maybe this isn't all physical. Maybe there is a philosophical component to this that even goes beyond the sports psychology side Hmm. of things. Hmm. Do you find that, given that you read so many nonfiction books, do you feel there are trends or kind of um, streams that run throughout a bunch of different books and, and that they could change every couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. We, we revisited some of these when we, we talked, I think it was in December, about what are some of the overarching themes from mm-hmm. all the books I read. And one of them was definitely like, we're getting too comfortable. We need to do hard things again. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. other one is, I would say, mindfulness, meditation, just being being aware. And I wonder if this comes from there's so many things competing for our attention now that it's very mm-hmm. easy to walk around very unaware. I mean, heck, you can see it even in the small town where I live. You drive through the downtown, talk about lack of awareness. Everyone's 
looking on their phones versus mm-hmm. just being there. I mean, for the safety aspect of it, but just <laughs> being there and and looking around. Yeah. Yeah. I even noticed that this morning at the pool, when I was walking out toward my car, everybody had their phone in their hand and was either looking at it or just pulling it up to look at it, you know, putting it, I'm like, whoa, we're just going a couple steps here, people. I think we can just walk and notice that it's raining and, and reflect back on our workout or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like we all, we all sense that, first of all, I think it's good because I think we all have an awareness of, wait a minute, this is not okay. And so mm-hmm. awareness is that first step. And I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. awareness in everything, understanding you know, when you're bumping up against your own limits, when you're kind of going down that path of responding or reacting to something really harshly or quickly. Mm-hmm. So awareness is a big theme. And I think it's very timely. Mm. All right. Okay. So and what was your favorite part of the book, Liz? My favorite part is the whole part on core values. You know, just, I think it's really important as adults to really know your core values and how to act from them and how to live from them. And so mm. this book really digs into, there's a whole chapter on how you identify those values. Um, and they brought up one of my other favorite books, which is Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Um, mm. Really, really popular, a business book from many years ago. But you know, establishing your core values comes from understanding your why. We've talked about this before um, yeah. in some other books. Just really understanding why why do you why are you making the choices and why are you going down the different paths that you're going down, knowing your values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know partly inspired by this book, you want to issue a challenge to folks listening. So tell us about that and you you had me do some homework for it too. I did. Um mm-hmm. so if if people will recall, my goal for 2020 was to issue everyone a challenge in these little segments, mm-hmm. um, just a call to action, just maybe to engage a little deeper with what's being talked about here. And so my challenge is, um, is, is the example from the book, and, and I love it. It was very powerful. So it was a thought experience. You're, you're supposed to imagine that you're at your funeral. Now, I know this is a little somber, so work with me here. Mm-hmm. You're at the end of your sporting career or life. You've achieved everything you want to. And he says, two people are going to stand up and give a speech in your honor, okay? And he suggested, take one from maybe your sporting life and one from your non-sporting life. And when I think about two people who might speak at my funeral, I'm hoping one would be my former manager mentor named Steve, and the other would be Coach Jen, because she's known Mm. me for so long and known me in many different capacities. Mm -hmm. And so the thought experiment continues with imagining, what do you want those people to say about you? Like, what do you think they would say were some of the parts of your personality that you like the most? Um, what what do they like the most about you? What do they admire about you? What do they think you mean to other people? Um, and, and I went through this and I really thought about those things. I thought they were really interesting questions to answer. And those things will give you a clue as far as what your values might be. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking Coach Jen would say that... Uh, coach Liz is incredibly curious, just, just loves to read a lot, loves to learn. So Mm -hmm. curiosity would be one of my values. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the book, late in the book, he gives you a list of, of, oh my gosh, there must be like 200 values here. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I actually gave you now, Sarah, for your homework, I gave you Mm -hmm. a condensed list. I gave you the via character strength list, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is sort of a condensed list of, um, values, but there's yeah. a ton in this book. Um, and I picked out five, you know, like I said, curiosity, confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I asked you to mm-hmm. list your core, core values. So what were some of your core values, Sarah? And before I get to that, I do have to say that Molly and I, when we ran together, actually at one point talked about sort of what we would say at each other's funeral, what we what we would oh, do. And uh, because she's definitely my the person for my sporting life that I would want to talk at my uh, memorial service. And so we definitely decided that there would have to be found change at my, okay, wait a second. Now we need to clarify that was nowhere on the list. I gave you, <laughs> it was not, it's not it was a like value <laughs> found change, free money, yeah, no. so, frugalness. So. <laughs> what can we call it? <laughs> Serendipity. 
Serendipity. I love it. <laughs> no, serendipity. <laughs> serendipity. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. There's okay. And that's the end of this week's Miles of Books. Thank you for stopping by. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, so back to core values, though. And we will link to uh, include that link that you sent me, Liz, so that people oh, can great. do this challenge, this call to action, because I, I really enjoyed doing it. So my core values are zest, humor, appreciation of beauty and excellence, gratitude and perseverance. And on that core values list that you sent, they were um, grouped in categories. And I just wanted to point out that two of mine fall under the category of courage, while three are transcendence which makes me sound way more lofty and, you know, cerebral than I perceive myself to be. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, and zest is um, definitely something I feel that I bring just to kind of how much I like to laugh. And Mm -hmm. definitely I see myself as that way, particularly on the pickleball court that I had to come down to it, had to go. There it is. There we go. Chug. (laughs) Another one of your core values. I shall bring a pickleball every time I'm with Liz. And I love that you connected it to this activity um, because the next step after identifying your core values mm-hmm. is to make a list of all the ways that value could be expressed or developed mm. or strengthened in your sporting life. And you nailed it, Sarah. Mm, all right. Pick, pickleball is an expression of your zest. It is. It really is. And uh, I yeah. love it. So I, I got a gold star. I'm so pleased. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. I actually did that via characters survey too. And mine were perspective, zest, gratitude, creativity, Ooh. curiosity, hope, and humor. So we share a few there. Oh, look at that. We share three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. No wonder we get along so well, Liz. <laughs> oh. Sort of. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> so so you mentioned that you're gonna spring another book on me. Is that yes. to start with why or is that no? Is there no, but one? that was that is another book if people want to dig out dig into more of what I would say is the business side of identifying your core values, definitely take a look at Cynic's book, Start With Why. The mm-hmm. other book I'm going to drop on you is I'm telling you, I think you've already heard of this book. It is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Mm. Uh he is kind of a modern modern elder, I would say, a a modern Mm. Stoic. And he has dug deep into the Stoic uh, approach to to looking at the world and life and written a series of books. The first one is The Obstacle is the Way. And then there's others, uh, Mm. Courage is Calling, Ego is the Enemy. They're all wonderful books. But I think that, you know, in the sporting circles, the one I hear the most about is The Obstacle is the Way. I would also like to add that Ryan Mm. Holiday sort of upended his life, moved to I feel like a ranch on Texas and then opened this little bookstore Mm. in, in Texas. Mm. And I just, I love that he opened a bookstore, the painted porch. Very nice. Very nice. And I have to say, I love you using the word stoic and stoicism several times in here because someone once described my mother as stoic when I was too young Mm. to know what that word meant. So I looked it up. And so it always reminds me of my mother. So, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, well, thank you. I I love a mind expanding conversation, Liz. So thank you for, (laughs) thanks for bringing your A game to this one. Thanks, Sarah. 